This week I'm talking about the new Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence sci-fi romance adventure movie, Passengers. Very excited about this. And I'll play you some music, a new song that I've written on the harmonium and drum machine coming up right after this. Here we go! Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Okay, let's talk about Passengers. So a couple nights ago, my friend Jane and I went to see Passengers. We saw it in this amazing little theater uh, under El Gaucho in downtown Seattle. It's called Big Picture Movie Theater, and it's a really small room. It's kind of swanky. They serve cocktails. It's super cool. I'd never been there before. Uh, the screen is not the biggest, but it's you're pretty close to it, and the screen looks amazing. So I had this really... Uh, amazing movie-going experience watching Passengers. I mean, the setting was great, and then I really, 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 really enjoyed the movie. And a lot of people out there seem to hate this movie. Uh, I've I've seen so much on the internet about how bad it is, and it's driving me a little crazy. So I just wanted to uh, to talk a little bit about it and tell you why I think it's worth seeing. I'm going to give you some spoilers because a lot of spoilers have actually been um, actually set out there by the media before the movie even came out. I mean, the just the general plot of the movie was written about a lot by a lot of different bloggers. Uh, there's one one post in particular that uh, that caught my eye. Uh, the The title of this post it's on uh, Pajiba.com. It's rape culture is the director of passengers believing most would do what Chris Pratt's character did. So I actually saw that that just popped up in my news feed. And I'm like, oh god, passengers is like promoting a rape culture agenda? I don't want to see that movie. And I literally wrote it off. I mean, I had been waiting for Passengers for months. I was really excited to see it. I saw this this post. I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to go see that movie. I don't want to support rape culture. So uh, I didn't even read the article. I just What I wanted to do was wait until the movie came out on, on uh, Blu-ray and then to stream it on Netflix or something. Because I don't own a Blu-ray player. Who do I think I am? A person with an Xbox? No, I am not. Uh, so I have a Wii U. That's I just bought a Wii U. It's amazing. I'm so excited about it. I'm playing Mario Maker like crazy. I built a sci-fi level in Mario Maker. That's the level. That's the level of nerd that I am. I went like three levels deep, nerdy, building a sci-fi level in Mario Maker. I'm getting distracted. Anyway, back to the story. So I saw I saw this post about rape culture and passengers. And I uh, decided not to see the movie. And then Jane texts me out of nowhere. My plans for that evening had just been canceled. I'm like, fuck, why not? Let's go see Passengers. That sounds fantastic. So we went to the movie. I love the theater. I sat down. It's like so cozy and awesome. And then the the movie starts and this beautiful spaceship comes up on screen. And I mean, this movie, say whatever you want about this movie. This movie is gorgeous. It is beautiful. In my imagination, when I think about sci-fi, it looks like this movie. Uh, it, it was just absolutely fucking stunning. So you see this spaceship rotating towards you with its crazy arms and wheel-looking apparatus that are poking out of the sides. It's really beautiful. Uh, it's lumbering across space. It hits this uh, asteroid meteor, uh, asteroid field, I guess is what you would call it. I know what those are. It hits this asteroid field, and the shield is pummeled all of a sudden. The shield, it looks like it's about to fall apart. And then uh, they run into this particularly large asteroid, and the ship is damaged. So this is all in the first seconds of the movie. I'm not spoiling much for you. So the ship is damaged. Uh, it wakes up Chris Pratt's character. 
we look around this room that his his sleeping pod is in, and there's thousands of sleeping pods inside of the spaceship. So his character's woken up, and we're uh, told through the exposition of this computer system waking him up that he is on this uh, mission to a distant planet to colonize a distant planet. Well, mission is the wrong word. He's just a he's a colonist. He's going to colonize this new planet. Uh, he left his old life behind along with 5,000 other people and then a, a handful of crew members. Like I'm, I don't remember the amount of crew members. Uh, so that's who's on this ship. And he's supposed to be woken up uh, when they're making their final descent into this new planet. But he was accidentally woken up with 90 years to go because of this malfunction that happened when they crashed, crashed through this asteroid field. So this is never supposed to happen. It's supposed to be impossible that anyone could wake up early. He wakes up early and he's all alone. So that's the setup of the movie. That alone like, uh, excited me to no end. I think the word titillated would be appropriate. That titillated me. As a sci-fi nerd, I'm like, ooh, ooh, that's an interesting premise. You know, you're traveling across the galaxy uh, to make this new life for yourself, and then you wake up, and your life is over. You wake up, and you have nowhere to go, uh, and and you're completely alone. You're a thousand percent alone. You're alone in the most intense way that's imaginable, alone in a way that no one who exists can really comprehend, except for maybe, maybe astronauts, like to the slightest degree, what it's like to be in space with no one else around you, knowing that you cannot reach anyone else, Um Man, that's intense. I'm, you know what? I'm sure there are people on Earth who can understand that. And I am now horrified thinking about how that's probably possible on our own planet. But let's, I mean, you know, that's what these movies are for, is to make you think about those things. But let's move on. So, so that's the basic premise. So I'm going to basically now spoil the plot for you. <laughs> so if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you know, if, if you really care about spoilers, go watch it first. For me, I think the discussion about this movie is really important to have while it's still in theaters because... I think that people need to go see the movie and make their own decisions about it. Uh, and if this podcast can convince people to at least go see it, then that's great. Because I, I wish this movie had done better and had better reviews because it's got you know 30% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. People seem to really not like it. Uh, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, so uh, I'm just going to, fuck it. I'm just going to describe the whole fucking movie to you. <laughs> if you want to bail out, this is your chance. I'm just going to go for it. Uh, no holds barred spoiler fest of me talking to myself right now because that's how I'm excited I am about this movie. So Chris Pratt's character is named Jim Preston. He's a mechanic. Uh, he wanted to go to a new society so that he could use his skills as a mechanic because he comes from Earth of the Future, which is just overrun with technology, and everything works for itself. I mean, technology is so self-reliant at this point that being a mechanic is kind of obsolete, which is a cool uh, character moment which helps build the world a little bit because they're trying to sell you the idea that there's no fail-safe built in to this uh, hibernation chamber system because if some, because no one's ever woken up from these hibernation journeys, so there's just no failsafe built in because why would they need it? Because it's never happened and it happens in this movie so you have to buy that and Jim being a mechanic from a world that doesn't need mechanics helps make that make sense. It helps uh, kind of drive his story forward of why he wants to go to this new world. They're going to a place uh, called Homestead 3, apparently the third of these colonies because uh, this is like, uh, later on in the movie it's described as kind of this like social media trend for people to want to go and colonize these new planets, which I thought was interesting. They used a lot of, uh, you know, the social media aspects of our current culture and projected them in the future in the way that Black Mirror likes to do, which I really like. I think that type of sci-fi is like very, uh, very 
cool right now. Like just doing that, I think is awesome because you're never gonna see, you're not gonna see Arthur C. Clarke writing about that. You know, this is something for our new current sci-fi sci-fi uh, writers to pursue is the idea of what will happen because of social media. You know, talk about the singularity, um, all these sorts of things. It's really been fascinating to me recently. So I love that that was a part of the movie as well. So Jim uh, tries to figure out what to do because he's alone. Uh, so he st- starts searching the ship. He starts looking, looking for other people who are awake. He starts looking for uh, like the crew. He finds the crew quarters. He tries to get into it, and he can't. He does everything he can possibly think of to try to fix his situation. He finds the manuals for the hibernation pods, tries to fix his. Uh, he tries to put himself back in hibernation. It doesn't work. There's, he just can't figure out anything to do. So he's alone, and then he starts to go a little crazy with aloneness. Um, he stops shaving. He His room is an absolute mess. He goes into a really deep despair. And Chris Pratt, uh, he's a great actor. I really, really, really love Chris Pratt. I loved him on Parks and Rec. I've loved him in Guardians. I loved him in Jurassic World. And I loved him in Passengers. I felt like Passengers was a much more nuanced role for him. It was a much more like acting challenge type of role. Uh, whereas in the past, he's just kind of this swashbuckling, uh, charming like goofball hero. And I, I have a feeling that that's probably who Chris Pratt is, is just this like awesome goofball dude to hang out with. And he just knows how to access his inner goofball and bring it to the screen and act in a way that just seems like he's just being himself. And I think that's awesome. I mean, I think that's great. That's a super valuable thing as an actor to be able to do. This movie showed me that he can act also. I mean, he can put on a different character and show you some real emotion so you really feel it when Jim is alone. You really feel how he's starting to go a little crazy. Uh, the only other person, well, quote-unquote person, that he can talk to on the ship is an android named Arthur. It's the android bartender played by Michael Sheen. A great android character. I really loved it. He His bottom half is just all machinery, and he just glides back and forth along the bar. And he's programmed to be the perfect bartender, but he has no intelligence uh, of his own except for artificial intelligence. This is not an android like Data with a positronic brain who uh, can learn and develop and become um, like a person. You know, Arthur's never going to become a person. He doesn't have the capability in his programming. He can't pick up on social cues. He can't uh, think for himself. He's just going through a list of responses. And it comes through in the performance. And it's important to the movie that that comes through in the performance because otherwise Jim's not alone. If he has one friend he can talk to, he's not alone. But to have one robot uh, who he can talk to that doesn't have an actual personality, I think makes him feel even more lonely uh, and makes him wish even more that he had someone to talk to. So Jim gets to the point where he actually... Uh, tries to commit suicide. The movie goes very dark. And this is the first point where I feel like uh, a lot of people probably are like, oh my God, this is not the movie I thought I was going to see. I thought I was going to see Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt fall in love in fucking space. And I was really excited about that. Now he's trying to kill himself. This is making me feel deep, dark things and I'm not comfortable. I think that has a lot to do with why people gave this movie a shitty review. But for me, I'm like, fuck yeah, the movie is going there. Like the movie is showing that he's losing it. He's uh, like losing his will to live. You know, like he's not losing his intelligence. He's not going crazy. I keep saying going crazy. That's not what's happening. He's losing the will to live. For some, And for me, you know, because my life has gone through some very intense ups and downs. And if I've learned anything over time, it's that change is constant. Any situation can change. And while there are situations that are hopeless, they could always end. There's always the chance that that situation could end. And for me, it's worth waiting to see if something changes. And this, this movie examines that 
uh, that's why I liked this so much is because it it comes down to a question of like what is worse, you know, like what situation in life is bad enough that it's no longer worth living, and if there's ever any hope, then the answer is always no situation, right? Because because the only constant in the world is change, and if you're in a hopeless situation. It's always possible for that hopeless situation to change. You never know what's going to happen. So holding on to that knowledge, because it is true, it will always be true. You never know what's coming. You know, it's impossible to know what's coming in the world. We're not the doctor. We can't see into the future. So, so in, my, in my optimistic view, there's no such thing as, as, a, as a situation that is uh, endlessly hopeless because things change. But we'll talk about that more when we get to further plot points in the story because the story does kind of bring up more of these issues. So Jim is lonely to the point of wanting to commit suicide, and he doesn't. Uh, he's desperate. He's really at like the bottom of his emotional well. He can't stand being alone any longer. In that moment, one of the hibernation pods catches his eye, and of course, it's the one with Jennifer Lawrence inside. He sees this beautiful woman inside of this hibernation pod, and, and all of a sudden, it gives him a reason to live. Uh, so this is, I think, one of the big things that people take issue with in the movie also is that uh, that's creepy. I mean, <laughs> that's creepy. Like, there's no way around that. That's fucking creepy. He proceeds to research this woman and get to learn everything about her. Also creepy. Super creepy. No denying that fact. But is it also understandable for him to feel that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's at his lowest point. He grasps on to anything. His survival mechanism kicks in, and he holds on to anything that makes him feel even the slightest bit of 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 interest in his own life in hope for his own future and he just holds on to it this becomes his reason to live he he starts to feel like this woman is his friend he starts to feel like he's in love with this woman she's a writer and he starts reading all of her books and falls in love with her voice uh, as a writer so he's obsessed with this woman all of a sudden and it's creepy it's super creepy but what i love about this is that it gives you a way into a super creepy guy it gives you like a uh, an understanding of why he's so creepy because I've done creepy things like I've done I've looked at things on the internet that are so creepy and I'm like I'm creepy I'm looking at this thing on the internet that makes me creepy but maybe it just means that I'm like a human being and I'm I explore aspects of my personality you know I don't know but I'm not here to defend myself I'm here to defend this fucking movie because I like it so he goes a little creepy and he starts to wrestle with the idea of waking her up. And as, a, as an audience member, you're just like, no, no, you can't do that. You can't condemn someone else to the purgatory in which you live that is so bad that you thought about killing yourself. I mean, the ship is incredible. Like He's living on this incredible ship. It's a resort because the last four months of the journey when they get to Homestead 3, all of the people, these 5,000 people are going to enjoy this resort as they acclimatize back to life because uh, being, hiber- being in hibernation for that long really kind of messes with your body and it takes you some time to get over it. Uh, so they want to have you live in luxury on your way to Homestead 3 and then you can start your new life once you're all organized and put together and healthy and, and ready to go. So it's got all these resort features that Jim takes advantage of. And in the beginning, when he's not quite uh, as lonely, there's some great montages of him enjoying the ship, but they always end with him being sad and alone, and it gets worse and worse. So, uh, of course, they have a robot bartender. That's, that's a nice amenity, Arthur. So Jim starts to talk to Arthur about whether or not he should wake up the woman. Her name is Aurora, played by Jennifer Lawrence. So... Jim really struggles with this for quite a while. The movie goes out of its way to say 
that this is wrong, you know, to say that he knows that he's doing something wrong and to see in his face how guilty he feels when he does it because he can't help himself. So he's not only becoming creepy, but now he's like committed uh, like an atrocity against this person. He has destroyed this person's life. Uh, Like no joke. He is straight up uh, like, I mean, this is equivalent to uh, like ripping this person's life. This is, uh, they say in the movie, it's equivalent to murder. This is equivalent to murder. He steals her life from her. He wakes her up so that she can never have her life on Homestead 3 and now she's stuck on this ship with him forever. But he doesn't tell her. And as an audience member, I'm just like, ooh, ooh, it's so awful. It's so unsettling. He doesn't tell her. He, he lets, I mean, she assumes that there was a malfunction that woke her up and he doesn't correct her. And then it becomes a lie because he doesn't correct her. And the lie grows because uh, eventually they, she starts to fall for him. And it's so creepy. It's so upsetting. Uh, I cannot stress enough how upsetting it is. But at the same time, you know Jim because you've been going on this journey with him. You've seen him go to his deepest, darkest depths of despair to the point of suicide. And, and this was his lifeline. You know, he, he, I mean, they say in the movie later, there's this quote, a drowning man will always grab onto someone else and pull them down with them. And that's what Jim was doing. He was drowning in his own despair. He was at the point of death and he pulled someone else down with him instead of dying. Would I have done that? I hope not. I hope that I would have uh, lived in loneliness the rest of my life. I hope that I would have. But I don't know. I do not know. There's a very good chance I would have woken someone up. If I knew someone on the ship, I probably would have woken them up. I probably wouldn't have been able to stand it. I would have gone like a good five or ten years or something and then woken them up. And be like, I'm sorry, dude. If it was Sarah, I'm like, sorry, Sarah. I know this is really fucked up. I'll wake up Rachel too so you can hang out. <laughs> but if it was just me alone and I didn't know anyone, I, I, just, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. But I, because of the way it was acted and written and presented, I did believe that this that Jim would do it that Jim is still a good guy but he that he did something so incredibly wrong in his place of desperation and then regretted it instantly i mean he very obviously regretted it and yes he was in love with this person and yes she starts to fall in love with him and yeah it seems kind of superficial that he'd fall in love with her like that but it worked for me just because it was uh like fall in love with her while she's still in the hibernation pod I'm referring to. But it worked for me because he was at this moment of desperation. And I mean, it's all well and good, like in your head, what you think you would do in any situation. But when you are in despair, like the choices you make are different. So I, so I totally went along with that. And then uh, I totally went along with the fact that he couldn't tell her because he uh, saw that it would ruin her. You know, what, I feel like he kind of came out of his despair through loving Aurora and being loved back by Aurora. I think that that was like a really powerful relationship that I think was real. I think it was real. Like they actually fell in love with each other. I think that on top of that, I, the, I like this as a love story because I really believe that there's no such thing as like, you know, the person you're destined to be with. But I do believe that two people, I, I believe that a lot of people could be that person for you. You know, I don't think there's just like one person that you're destined to be with. I think there's a lot of people that would fit with anyone so well that it's going to feel like it was destined because it feels so good because it's so perfect. I think there's a lot of people like that. But I think what's rare is for two people that are like that, that match to both be willing and open to fall in love at the same time. You know, like th- this is where my relationships have have had weirdness is that people 
uh, maybe match up really well, but are at different places in their life, are at different places emotionally. Like, have you ever been with someone great, but it got too intense and you got like scared and broke it off because you just didn't want to deal with it because it was just too much? And uh, not just because you were scared, but because it was detracting from your life because there's these other things in your life you're trying to do and you need to get yourself worked out and balanced before you can be in a relationship that's this intense. So you end it even though you love that person. I think that's common. I think that happens a lot. Uh, I think that I've done that without really admitting admitting to myself what I was doing because I was doing it out of fear. Uh, but then you get older and you're like, man, it might have worked out with that person. Like I, I was scared. I, I bailed on that because I was scared. So, uh, so yeah, I wonder like if I'd met that person at a different point in my life, would things have been different? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? I don't know. So the idea of two people uh, deciding to be in love at the same moment, whether or not they are the perfect match for each other or not, I think that love is a decision. I think that you open yourself and say, I'm going to love people and then be ready for that to come to you and then when it comes to you to recognize it and to accept it, I think that is so hard. That is a skill. You know, that's something that I have had to work very hard in my life to, to, to have because I used to self-sabotage relationships all the time and uh, not just like romantic relationships, but um, like really intense close friendships. You like to test things to see if they're really going to be there for you and it matters. But by testing it, you're being a dick. And you're putting them through something that they shouldn't have to go through. And then they're not going to want to hang out with you because why would they? Uh, And then your friendship breaks up and you use it as like a a self-affirming mechanism to say, oh, well, this person was shitty and wasn't my real friend. When in fact, you were not a good friend to them. These are the things that go through my mind when I'm uh, paranoid. (laughs) So, okay. So, yeah, thinking about these two people falling in love with the situation, I buy it. Because what is their option? Their other option is to be miserable for the rest of their lives and not talk to each other because they're the only two people awake. So would you choose to fall in love with that person? Fuck yeah, you would. Would you go out of your way to uh, to want to be with that person? Yes. Would you let those petty differences, those little things that bother you, the way that they fart when they're sleeping, would you let that get to you? No, you would accept it because you want to be in love with that person. People talk about that being what love is, you know, and I think I'm starting to understand that. I remember uh, the movie Goodwill Hunting. Remember when Robin Williams was talking about how his wife used to fart and it was the cutest thing in the world? Uh, like That being the cutest thing, I think, has a lot to do with that person's ability to say, the fact that I'm next to this person makes me lucky and anything they do that I don't like instead of being unlikable is cute because it makes you happy that you're there, that they chose to be with you. Uh, And I think that that's like a mindset that you can take around with you during your life every day. I think it's awesome. I love it. So I love the fact that these characters fell in love with this movie. I'm, I'm such a fan of love. If you, if you like do something for love, I'm like, yeah, I like it. I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic in that way. So, they fall in love. On the night that Jim is planning on proposing to Aurora, he takes her to the bar and uh, with robot Arthur, the bartender, because they have this special relationship with Arthur now because like he's kind of this reflection of their love to them. Because he's the perfect bartender, he's like, oh, look at you kids. You look so cute tonight. Uh, so he's kind of like the outside reflection of their of their love in the way that taking your new girlfriend to a party for the first time is fun because everyone's like, oh, you two are so cute together. It's so fun. Everyone loves that. And Arthur's doing that for these two characters. So he's kind of a special uh, part of their relationship. So he takes her to the bar to start off the romantic evening on the night he's planning on proposing. Aurora had made an offhand comment in front of Arthur saying that there's no secrets between the two of them. And Arthur looks at Jim and says, oh, is that true? And Jim says... Uh, something along the lines of, yep, that's the agreement, or that's, that's like, why would it be any different, or something like that. And Arthur takes that 
literally, as Jim's saying, there are no secrets between us. So Arthur believes at this point that Jim has told Aurora uh, about the fact that he, that he woke her up. Because Jim had previously told Arthur, like, you can't tell her. You can never tell her that I woke her up. You got to promise me you'll never tell her. And Arthur promises. He's like, of course not. I would never do that. You've, you've asked me to, to do a directive and I will not do it. You know, it's very logical and robotic of him. So then when, when Jim tries to kind of give Arthur a signal and say, oh, yeah, that's our agreement, uh, you know, not trying to say, yes, I've told her about this one thing, trying to save face in front of in front of the woman that he loves because he can't tell her this thing because it would shatter her. Um, and yeah, that's fucked up and it's horrible and it's awful. And what I've done that, I hope not, but he did it in the movie and it was interesting to watch. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'll, get, I'll get to an analysis of all this in a minute. I'm going to tell you the story first. So while Jim is going to prepare himself to ask Aurora to marry him, Arthur starts, ta- starts talking about how awesome it is that she is okay with the fact that Jim woke her up. Uh, because he's, it's like he finally has this pathway into his data bank where he can talk about information with this other person that he's designed to do that he was like, uh, like building programs to talk about but wasn't allowed to use it. And then now he's allowed to use it and he's very pleasant about it. But not in a way that has any sort of real emotion behind it. Again, I love this character. It's a very well-defined robot character that did not seem to have... Uh, artificial intelligence beyond programming. Very, very well written, well balanced, in my opinion. Uh, so Aurora finds out the secret through Arthur telling her and is devastated and pe- petrified, terrified. She turns around, she sees Jim, and all of a sudden he is like someone who has murdered her. He's this guy who has abducted her, uh, who has abducted her into his own uh, misery, you know? And like when you. When you look at like abduction cases, I think that often that might be what's happening is that someone gets so miserable with loneliness that they take someone and lock them away to feel like they have someone in their lives. It's, I mean, it's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying to think that like human beings are capable of that, you know? Um, And that's why I like this movie because it showed you how that's possible and it showed you that he's not even... Like, there's still, like, likable things about this person who did this despicable thing. And is what he did as awful as kidnapping someone and locking them in a basement for the rest of their lives? No, it's not as awful as that. It is not as awful as that. People keep saying that it is in, like, uh, write-ups that I'm reading about this. Like, he's basically someone who's just kidnapped this person and forced her to live in a prison. This ship is not... It's a prison in the fact that they can't get off of it, but it's like a wonderful place to be. It's gorgeous inside. It's uh, it's living in a resort for the rest of your life. Is that a full life? Absolutely not. But is that being locked in a small cage in someone's basement? No. Uh, she has room to move around on her own there. It's a. I mean, it's a. It's very close. Don't get me wrong. It's very close to being as horrible, and it's really horrible. But it's not. Uh, it's not like. It's not quite to that level. And I like that. I like being challenged by things that make me uncomfortable in sci-fi movies to examine my own beliefs about our current culture. That's why. That's why I love this shit. Like that's what it's all about. And this movie has it, and I love it. Okay, continuing. So. So Aurora's just devastated by this. She goes into this. Uh, incredible depression. I mean, equivalent to what Jim went through before because not only is she, uh, I mean, not only did she have to go through accepting her life here, but she fell in love 
And she's lost both of those things. So now she's not, I mean, she's not only not in love with Jim anymore, but she's terrified of him. And sure, there must be a part of her inside that's in love with him, but that part of her has got to feel like she's in love with something that's not real, right? I've been through that before, where I was so in love with someone and then they broke up with me and I found out something else about them. I was like, that was awful. And I was like, shit, wow, that's terrible. uh, I'll just tell you. I mean, she never, she told me she loved me just because she wanted someone to say that they loved her. She never actually loved me. And I found this out through like mutual friends of ours. And it was devastating. This is the first person I was ever in love with. It was, I've never talked about this on the show, but this was, uh, this really fucked me up for a long time. I was like, fuck, life is terrible. Uh, I was 17. It took me so long to get over that. Because before that, I approached love with like the most open heart possible. I'm just like, love is great. I want to be in love. And I met this girl and she's like, oh, you're amazing. I'm like, you're amazing. And we fell in love and it was great. Uh, but apparently it was just me. And that's kind of shitty, you know, to, to reveal yourself in that way to someone who is uh, not capable of feeling the same thing back or, or lied about feeling the same thing back. So I totally related to Jennifer Lawrence at this moment in the movie where all of a sudden she sees Jim as this, uh, as the enemy, as all of a sudden he's this person who has done this unforgivably awful thing to her. Very compelling, very compelling. And then she avoids him like the plague and he creepily tries to tell her like, why? You know, she can't hear it right now. She's so upset. Jim is doing everything wrong, but he's doing it for like reasons of love and loneliness. And it's heartbreaking. And you empathize with him, even though you don't agree with him. Uh, and I think that's healthy. I think that that's cool. I think that that's good writing to, to have the bad guy in the movie be Chris Pratt and be lovable while being the bad guy. So good. I really like it. Uh, the more I talk about this, the more I realize how much I like this movie. I'm talking through it and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying myself immensely right now. (laughs) I hope you are too. So so, uh, this wall is built between them that cannot be breached because Chris Pratt has done the unthinkably bad thing to her and she can't talk to him. The movie continues. Time passes. Uh, They do a good job of showing the passage of time. I mean, it was like a year before Chris Pratt woke up Jennifer Lawrence and I think that they were uh, together for most of a year before she found out the secret And then I think there's several months where they don't speak to each other before the next thing happens. The next thing is Lawrence fucking Fishburne. God damn, I love Lawrence Fishburne. Good old Larry Fishburne shows up as uh, Chief Gus Mancuso. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Gus. He plays Gus. Gus wakes up. Uh, Chris Pratt had planted a tree in the middle of the promenade at one point of the ship as a special, uh, like, uh, I love you message to Aurora because there's nothing living on their ship besides them. So having this tree living there with them kind of became this uh, really special thing. It's like, oh my God, there's life here. You saw her stand under that tree and feel like she's uh, off the ship for just a second because feel like she's touching something living besides the one other person she has access to. It was a really cool, powerful moment because have you felt that before? Like, have you stood under a tree and been like, oh, this tree is a good guy, you know? I love that feeling and you can see her feel that and a lot of this is unspoken in the movie and just me extrapolating uh, the emotional content based off of the acting. Um, so I'm, I, this is how I interpreted the movie. This may not be at all how anyone else interprets the movie, but it's me. Anyway, so uh, Chris Pratt had planted that tree. Jim had planted that tree. And then Aurora uh, had seen it earlier in the movie. And then they call back to it later after they've had their split uh, when Gus wakes up. Uh, a third person wakes up. A third, well, a second pod malfunctions. The malfunction happened about two years after the first pod malfunctioned because... Uh, and now there's three people awake. So there's been two malfunctions and one person aw- awoken uh, 
purposefully. Gus wakes up from his malfunction and he gets on the loudspeaker in the ship. He's like, excuse me, who planted a tree in the middle of my deck or something like that? And then, uh, you know, we see separate shots of Aurora and Jim both being, oh my God, someone else is awake and running to the center of the ship where this tree is planted and meeting Gus. And it's like, oh my God, there's someone from the crew who's awake. And that is a game changer because all of a sudden they have access to every area of the ship that they couldn't get into before. They couldn't get into the crew quarters. They couldn't get onto the bridge. They couldn't control anything about the ship. They had no idea that uh, the ship was actually going through all these cascading malfunctions as more and more things were going wrong after that initial impact with that asteroid in the beginning of the movie. So in that way, it's totally Titanic in space, but that's the only way this movie was Titanic in space. It is not a love story like Titanic in space, all right? Don't expect that. If you expect that, you won't like it, and you'll give it a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, and then you'll make me angry, and then you'll make me want to record this podcast. So they finally get into the bridge, and Jim, he's a mechanic, so he has learned how to make a lot of things work on the ship. He's very uh, proficient with working the ship, but Gus worked there. Gus knows how things work, and he can instantly look at everything and say, oh, my God. Uh, this ship is about to explode. Uh, like We've had all these cascading failures for the last two years. All of these things are wrong. There's something going on in the reactor core. We have to go check it out. Um, but And while they figure these things out, they have to trace down where in the ship the problem is occurring because the ship doesn't even know how to diagnose these things because it's never happened. They've never had this bad of an asteroid collision because that was a big motherfucker to, uh, to make something this wrong happen on the ship to the point where they'd need the type of diagnostics to tell them where to find this problem. I love the hubris of that. Uh, this movie is full of, of the hubris of humanity believing that what they've built is infallible and that they don't even need to build backup systems into it. Because in Star Trek, you know, there's, there's, there's like a uh, activate the secondary backup, you know, there's there's always a secondary backup. There's not, just a, there's not just a backup. There's a motherfucking secondary backup. On this ship, there's not even a backup. Uh, but I buy it as like a viewer because uh, this is a society that believes its own hubris and it's going to um, colonize other planets and do all this crazy shit. And it's like, well, we don't need a backup. We're going to the stars. Uh, our ship is infallible. It's going to get there. All that kind of shit. I don't know what voice that was. That was a weird voice. As they're trying to figure out what it is about the ship that's going to explode... Gus is having some health problems. He's not feeling hot. Gus is looking uh, a little pale. I I have to say, I love Lawrence Fishburne in this movie. He was so charming. He was great. Like, the last thing I saw him in was uh, Predators. And he was uh, uh, an oddball in that in a way that was really fun and exciting and weird. Uh, I like that movie a lot. It was That's the first Predator movie that I saw. It's like the fourth one. I don't know. I was doing that backwards. The one with Adrian Brody covered in mud. It's good shit. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne in this movie. Fucking charming. It was good. So as they're trying to figure out what went wrong uh, with the ship, they trace back through the hibernation pods. Gus discovers that uh, Jim's pod was this type of failure, and then his pod was this type of failure. But Aurora's pod was intentional. He discovers that Jim woke Aurora up, and he turns around and says, did you wake her up? And he's like, yes. <laughs> he just owns it. And Gus is like, Something like, man, that's cold, or something like that. It's such a great line. And there's this fear in Gus's face. He's like, man, this guy, this guy might be crazy. This guy might try to kill me. But there's also this, like, accepting resignation because he's in that situation with them of being awake and knowing that he's not going to be able to see anyone else ever except for the two people that are with him. He's in that situation with them, and he's like, I do understand it. You know, he, he doesn't agree with it, but he does understand it. And he's the one who says to Aurora in a couple of scenes when she like she brings it up with him. She's like, so you figured it out, right? You know that he woke me up. And she's still 
like righteously indignant that this happened and justifiably so. And he's like, yep, I figured it out. And he's like, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. But a drowning man will will grab someone and pull them down with them. That's just what people do. It's not a good thing, but that's what people do. Uh, and and I love that because like there's no, I mean, it's not like it's not like he's saying, well, I mean, we're in this together, so you have to forgive him. That's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying like it was wrong, but I I get it. You know, I understand that that's a thing that a person could do. Still wrong. Doesn't make it right. Still makes it wrong. So yeah, for my money, the movie's still going out of its way to say that Jim is wrong. Uh, so then they figure out what's wrong with the ship. It's a problem with the main reactor. The main reactor needs to be vented into space. They need to open it up and vent out the the fiery, crazy shit that's going on in the main reactor into space. But before they can do that, Gus dies because he was woken up incorrectly by the hibernation pod when it malfunctioned. So the person who knows how to do this has died. So now we're fucked. Now we've just got uh, Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence. We've got Aurora and Jim. They have to save the ship or everyone is going to die. All 5,000 people are going to die. And I think it's at this point that it's it's never really explicitly stated, but uh, it was in the back of my mind. Like, wow, if if these, cas- these cascade failures would have kept happening. The situation that Jim found himself in the beginning was not a permanent situation. So his hopelessness at wanting to kill himself would have changed. His desperate need to wake up, Aurora, would have changed if he'd waited for one year. He reached the end of his hope when there was still hope. And I love that. I think that that is so interesting to see play out. And I say there's still hope as if like they weren't all, all about to be destroyed. But what I mean by there's still hope is that like someone else would have woken up, you know? He, he didn't have to wake someone else up. He didn't have to take action. He could have just waited for another year and Gus would have been woken up by the cascade failures. Of course, complicating that is the fact that in the movie, uh, obviously, spoiler alert, uh, once Gus dies, Aurora and Jim have to work together to save the ship. It takes two people to do it. So it really complicates the message by saying that uh, Jim saved everyone because he woke up Aurora, because he did the super creepy thing. I don't think the movie is trying to make that argument. I think that that's just kind of how it played out to give you this action beat at the end. I don't think they're trying to be apologetic for Jim or say that he did something okay because it ended up saving 5,000 lives. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't get that from the movie, but I, I, that's something else that I have read that, that the movie's trying to be apologetic for creepy behavior. So I thought I'd, I, I have to point that out because that is a valid argument. It's explicitly said, like, can we wake up more people to help? No, we don't have time. We have to fix this now or the ship's going to explode because it takes a while to wake up from hibernation sleep. Yes, so everyone would have died. But I still think that uh, the message of the movie is not that you should just make creepy decisions and hope for the best. The message of the movie was, uh, if you get to the point of despair, like, hold on to hope. That's what I took from it. And I think that that's where me and a lot of uh, people who are writing things about rape culture are going to disagree. Because all the things being written about rape culture are from the point of view of the fact that Jim basically decided for Aurora what her life was going to be. And is that something that's a problem in rape culture? Yes, absolutely. Like a man assuming that he can make any choice for a woman uh, because a woman doesn't have the capacity to make that choice for herself is so fucked up, beyond fucked up. It's horrible. And that is like a a big part of why rape culture still exists is because there are men out there who think, well, I'm going to make the decision because I'm a man and it's my decision to make. Did that happen in this movie? I don't think so. Uh, Like, technically, you could see it that way, and I understand that. Did he make that choice for her? Yes. Uh, Was it done out of a point of view of thinking that she couldn't make that choice for herself? No, he did it because he was alone. 
he knew that she wouldn't make that choice for herself. Like he, he knew that that uh, that that's not what she would want. But he did it anyway because he was desperate and and at the point of you know despair, and he made a fucking mistake and and he knows that. But is it interesting to watch a character make the wrong mistake? Yes. Is, does it make this a bad movie because he did something so creepy? I don't think so. I think that that is part of the strength of this movie is to grapple with uh, with this intense thing that he's done to this person, uh, and to give you to give you like a mind a, a little bit of the mindset of like someone hurting someone so badly, but seeing where they were coming from and seeing them hurt someone else out of their own pain. Because I think that seeing that and seeing the type of pain that it causes her, uh, to me inspires me to question my own actions to watch what I'm doing and to say am I doing this uh am I doing things to other people out of uh like wanting to help that person or am I doing it for myself you know wanting to help myself and wanting them to feel a certain way so that I will feel a certain way or something like that but just like questioning your own motives and motivations and what do you do when you are in uh, a desperate time because it's going to happen to all of us at one time or another. We're going to be put into a desperate situation. We're going to have to make choices about how to behave. And uh, being presented with someone else's choices and seeing them do something that's wrong in a movie like this, I think is valuable because it helps you think about yourself. So I have read that rape culture article at this point, and it talked a lot. It talked a little bit about how Jim was dominating Aurora's life by making this choice for her. And I, uh, again, I can totally see why they'd make that argument, but for me, that's not what the movie was trying to say. Uh, the movie was trying to say that Jim, you know, made this one choice, this one desperate moment where he did take a decision that did have massive repercussions on this other person's life. But after that, does he try to dominate her life? No, he falls in love with her. She falls in love with him. It's, I mean, he lied to her, yes. Like, he held information from her, and that is incredibly fucked up, but he wasn't trying to manipulate her. He was just afraid to tell the truth. Did that manipulate her? Yes, but that's not what his motivation was. And does he take action later in the movie to try to rectify this? Well, yeah, we haven't gotten there yet, but I will tell you, we'll, we'll get there. So it's going to happen. Does his character learn from his mistake and, and regret his mistake? Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I you know, I, I take issue with having a, a character make a wrong choice in a movie be a judgment call against the director and against the movie itself when the movie is trying to present a complicated issue in a complicated way to make you think, and I think it succeeds at that. Okay, let's get back to the story. So Gus is dead. Jim and Aurora have to work together to save the ship. The hatch that they have to open to vent all of the heat into space to save the main reactor is stuck, so they have to go out into space. Several times throughout the movie, they've shown us these uh, spacesuits that, that the main characters can wear. And, and two of the most compelling sequences of the movie, in my opinion. The first being when uh, Jim is alone and he discovers all the different amenities of the ship. He finds the suit where you can go on a spacewalk. It's one of the amenities. So he puts it on, he tethers himself, he walks out into space, and he like pushes himself off of his magnetic grav boots and floats out on his tether and just stands there floating in complete emptiness. And I think that that is one of the things that starts to drive him towards uh, suicide. And then when he tries to kill himself, he does try to kill himself through the airlock and chickens out at the last second. And then later when Aurora's awake and they're in love and they're dating and she doesn't know that he had woken her up yet, uh, he takes her on a date and they go spacewalking together and they have this incredible romantic experience uh, and it's so beautiful to see two people alone in the nothingness of everything and how that could be enough for someone, you know? 
that's powerful stuff. And it makes it even more devastating to see them lose that later on in the movie. So at the very end of the movie, the, the ship is going to explode. So someone has to go outside and open the hatch. And Jim decide, says that he'll do it. He, uh, like Aurora, realizes in that moment that she doesn't want to live without him. Because you see it cross her face. Like, if Jim goes outside and dies, I am alone. Then I'm the person who has to make the decision to be alone or to ruin someone else's life to wake them up. And you see the uncertainty in her face. I wish they'd said the line. I, I, I wish that... I wish that it had been recognized that she recognized in herself the same impulse that Jim recognized in himself because I think that she does. Uh, my reading on the movie is that in that moment, she, she sees herself make that decision and is terrified. And she's like, oh my God, I can't live without you. You have to stay. Not just because of him and who he is, but because of her and like living alone. Um, like the choice between living with someone who you did fall in love with once and who really fucked you over but who you could probably learn to love again if you forgave them, or the choice of becoming the person that fucked you over, she, she would rather choose to be in love with that person and to keep him. And I, that's, she's a great actress also. I mean, I'm not saying enough about Jennifer Lawrence. She was so good in this movie, and all of that passed her face in that moment. Like, I saw all of that go through her face, and I'm just like, fuck. I kind of wished at that point for Jim to die. I was like, wow, I kind of hope that Jim dies and then we see her make that decision because that would drive home the point of this being a human choice that Jim made that was wrong. And then the whole movie would be about watching people make the wrong choice and it would be so fascinating. But what's the right choice? Let 5,000 people die? That doesn't seem right in that situation. And if she saves 5,000 people, maybe... Uh, maybe she deserves to ruin someone else's life. Like, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that maybe she could, she would justify it to herself in the sequel to this movie to wake up someone else because uh, she saved everyone, so she deserves to wake them up. Um, that could have been an interesting story to tell. But, uh, but that's not what happened. Anyway, so Jim goes outside. He saves the day. Uh, they both saved to get the day together. It took both of them to do it. Um, Jim risks his own death to do so. Uh, Aurora was actually... I mean, very easily could have died inside also with what she was doing to try to save the ship because, like, shit was flying all over the place. A giant screw, like, stabs her in the arm. And she's also, like, totally the the hero of this movie in the same way that Jim is. Like, their heroics together save everyone. Uh, so Jim has not been a hero in this movie at all up until this point. Like, Jim has basically been the the empathetic villain the whole time, if you want to look at it in the classic movie structure. Although I don't really think this movie has heroes or villains. I think it just has people, and that's great. I like that a lot. Just interesting people that did interesting things in a really, really pretty ship. So they save the day. It looks like Jim might have been killed, um, but uh, Aurora then goes and like finds his... Uh, it looks like he might have been killed because he, he's just floating in space. Like his tether was cut. It, it melted when all the the plasma fire went out through the, the port that he had to hold open by hand. It was very dramatic. So he's now floating through space. She doesn't know if he's alive or dead. She gr- jumps into one of the spacesuits, goes out into space, grabs him and brings him back to the, sh- to the ship and like pulls off his helmet takes him, uh, he's not breathing, it looks like he's dead, she takes him into the, the medical bay and puts him in the med pod, and the med pod resuscitates him, she like sets it to do all different types of resuscitation at once, and all this crazy shit happens, and he breathes again, and he's alive, and he's okay, and she's so happy to see him, you know, like her anger has now been shed away, because I think that she saw in herself 
if if she can see in herself the 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 tendency to do what Chris Pratt did, to do what Jim did to her, I think that's like the beginning of her forgiving him. And I think that all the other emotions that she had towards him came flooding back because his willingness to sacrifice himself for 5,000 people means that he's not the worst, right? Like he's a he was a creep. He was a super creep. But he's not necessarily a bad guy. And I think that when you're forgiving someone, it really comes down to intention. Like, is, are you forgiving someone because they intentionally hurt you over and over because they want uh, to test you? Fuck that. You don't need to forgive that. But if someone's hurting you accidentally because of uh, maybe something inside of them that, that, that they have no control over because of a flaw, man, I would consider forgiveness. You know, if, if forgiveness is, is possible in that situation, I would consider it. And I like that Aurora forgives him in that moment. And maybe forgiveness is the wrong word, but at least empathy. I don't know. I think I think we all need to work hard at being empathetic towards other people who are doing shitty things, especially with the Donald Trump presidency. So, so she so she forgives him. The relationship is back on. Uh, Arthur had been damaged during all of the the hubbub, and Aurora fixes Arthur. She patches up his forehead, which was cut open, and you could see his circuitry beneath. Uh, and it looks like they might get back to some semblance of life together. Uh, not quite as good as what they'd had before, but maybe more grounded and real. So like the honeymoon period is over, but maybe they can actually be together in like a, a real uh, deep way where they accept each other's, they accept each other's flaws and all at this point. Of course, Aurora doesn't have any flaws at this point, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll figure some out later. She seems cool. She's totally like the type of person you'd want to date. She's artistic. Uh, she's maybe a little, maybe a little uh, full of herself actually, because she's a, a writer and she's, Reminded me of me a little bit, actually, talking about like writing the like the first album or first album. See, Freudian slip, writing the first novel from the new colony, how she'll be the only person who could have seen it and been there. And then maybe people will want to read her thing because it's going to be important. I feel that way about writing sci fi music. I'm like, I'm going to write sci fi music that that represents the feeling of being a sci fi fan. And it'll be important, you know, (laughs) when it's just like silly and fun. But for me, it's important. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so she so she's maybe a little full of herself in a way that I identify with, uh, but she's great. So because uh, because Gus, who has now passed away, because Gus was a a crewman, he had a special wristband that gave him access to different areas of the ship. So his wristband also brings up uh, advanced features in all of the machinery throughout the ship because Jim only had surface level access to all the computer software. So he's talking to the like the computer directory and saying, what can I do here? Like, can I contact people from home? Uh, he's like, you can send a message. It will take 19 years to reach home and 27 years to return to the ship. So your message will be sent in 53 years. I just made up those numbers. I'm, I'm sure that math is incorrect. Uh, and he can't like override anything. He can't really make any real change on the ship, which is why he couldn't put himself back into hibernation mode. But when they when they get Gus's access to the whole ship, Jim realizes that the med pod that had been used to bring him back to life, similar to the med pod that was in Prometheus, interestingly enough, the first draft of Prometheus was written by John Spaths, who wrote this script. Very interesting. He made up the med pod. I, I know that for sure because the... Well, I don't know that for sure, but I think he made up the med pod because the idea of cutting the alien baby out of Shaw's stomach and Prometheus was in the original draft that he wrote. So I think the med pod was in that draft as well, in which case he put the same sort of med pod into both movies. Kind of cool. I'm now very... I'm much more interested now in, in, in John Space and checking out more stuff that he's written because I, I really like this movie. And I uh, I read an article about what he wrote in Prometheus and I locked... I liked, Well, a lot of what I liked about Prometheus was stuff that he wrote. Uh, versus Damon Lindelof, who wrote the final version of the script. Although I liked a lot of what he wrote also, because that's a cool movie. 
Speaking of Prometheus, the sci-fi on trial came out yesterday. I really like it a lot. We tried a new system where we used points to try to come to a verdict during the trial. And I think it actually worked really well. And I'd love your opinion. So take a listen. Let me know. Um, so Jim discovers that the med pod, which is in the medical bay on the ship, can actually put one person into hibernation. Uh, so he had not been able to figure out how to put anyone back in hibernation. They'd made it very clear earlier in the movie that wasn't possible. Now it's possible. He offers it to Aurora. He wants to make amends for the fact that he stole her life from her. So he offers her the, the, the pod. He says, I can put you back in hibernation sleep and you'll wake up in 90 years. But she's like, but then you'd be alone. Um, and it's a, it's a really, it's a touching moment. It feels, um, again, I would have preferred for Jim to have died and Aurora to have made the wrong decision. I feel like that would have driven the movie home for me a little bit more. But Aurora making the choice to give up her life, uh, to make a life on the ship has another message to it that's actually really powerful uh, that I don't know. I, I don't know if I would prefer the other ending or not because the way that this movie ends is that they decide to, to, to love each other and to live together. And then it cuts to 90 years later and the crew wakes up and the ship is just covered in plants and animals because they'd taken everything that uh, the colonists were bringing to plant on Homestead 3 and they had to spread it out over the ship and made like a thriving ecosystem inside the ship, had made a life for themselves and had made like a world for themselves and just lived a happy life, which we find out through Aurora's writing through voice voiceover because she didn't write her book on the planet. She wrote her book on the ship about being stuck on this journey with this person um, and, and their story that turns into this sort of epic love story. I mean, we don't know if they had kids. I kind of doubt that they did, but it's not explicitly stated what happened to them. But besides the fact that they had a good life together. Uh, so I like the idea of, of people coming to an understanding through forgiveness and being able to build a life together. Uh, a lot of people talk these days about how d divorce is more common than marriage and how monogamy is going away and, uh, you know, p two people loving each other is not really realistic for like a lifetime. But I think that's bullshit. I think, I think that two people loving each other for a lifetime is just a choice that you make and that if you decide to do it, then you can totally pull it off. You just have to decide to do it. I'm, I'm 32, uh, so don't take my word for it, but... Uh, this is based off of other people's opinions or other people that I've met who are together and have been for a long time and who are in love. And then other relationships that I've seen fail where two people are super in love, but their fear of, of rejection causes them to push the other person away. And my experience of doing that. So I've experienced the opposite end of this. And the only times I've ever entered into a relationship where I felt like I was open and ready to love someone, those are the relationships that I got the most out of. So it comes down to being like a, like a, a math equation. If I get more out of relationships when I enter them believing that I can be in love with someone forever, then I'm going to have a better relationship. So that's what I choose to believe. A equals B equals C. It's, it's simple for me. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there that uh, don't feel that way. And that's fine. But, you know, I do. And I like that that came through in this movie. And it really resonated for me. So passengers. Thumbs up. <laughs> Wow, how long did I talk? Let's look. That's about an hour. That's insane. You could have watched the movie or you could listen to this for an hour and it's, and it's great. So I'm going to play a little bit of music uh, to end out the episode today. You'll remember like 10 episodes ago, there was an episode called My Positronic Brain and I wrote you a short story that I'd written uh, to help me write the lyrics of, of a song. Funny story, I actually wrote the lyrics first and felt like they were wrong. So then I wrote that story to workshop it with myself. 
And then I didn't reread the lyrics uh, until, well, that's not true. I did reread the lyrics. I'm like, these lyrics are wrong. I don't know what to do. And I just put it down and walked away from it. And that's been a couple months. So then a couple nights ago, I had this like little phone recording that I had of myself playing harmonium and drum machine and singing the song. Uh, just when I wrote it, I like to just put things down uh, in, in like a little audio note just to make sure I don't forget what the premise of the song was. So as soon as I'd written the song and like the lyrics, the music, I, I sat down on the harmonium drum machine. I played the whole thing and I was like, oh man, I like this. I'm going to put this down, figure out what's wrong with the lyrics by writing a story about it and come back to it. Uh, I couldn't do it. I didn't, didn't quite work. I, I don't know. Writing, this, writing the little story was really interesting for me. Just kind of like getting in that mindset of the character of the song. And then looking back at the lyrics, I still didn't know it was wrong because I like so much of them a lot. And then I listened to that little audio note for the first time in like a couple of months, uh, two nights ago. And I was like, this is great. Like, what's wrong with this? <laughs> these lyrics are cool. But then I got to the second verse. And I'm like, no, these lyrics suck. But it was like the second half of the second verse. So the whole problem was that I had to cut out half of the second verse, get rid of those lyrics. And then the song just worked. Uh, it worked as I had intended originally. It worked as I had thought it had written when I originally wrote it. I just had a little too much and that too much bit was throwing the whole song out of whack. So I threw it away. Uh, and now I feel like I might have a full song that is ready to record. So I thought it'd be fun to play it for you, uh, on harmonium and drum machine in this episode to close things out. Cause I haven't played you a song in a while and I have one to play now that I'm pumped about. So I'm going to do it. And then I'll see you next time. Fun episode today. I had a blast with myself. I hope you had fun too. I've never tried to explain a whole movie before, especially one I've only seen once, but it was very ingrained. I was paying very close attention and it was it really, really resonated with me, that Passengers movie. Yes, it's problematic. Yes, it's creepy. Yes, uh, a lot of what people are writing about it is true, but that's the beauty of the movie and, and people not recognizing that is frustrating to me. So I... Uh, I love I love me some sci-fi complexity. I love it. And I love to see it in a movie that was advertised as like a big budget love movie because I thought that I was going into Titanic and the fact that I got real sci-fi uh, for my standards, which are low because I love sci-fi. And if you put anything cool in it, I'm, I'm set. I'm like, yeah, that's great. So uh, seeing that in this movie was thrilling to me and I want more movies like that. I loved it. Okay, I'm going to play my Positronic Brain and then I'll be out and I'll see you next time.
just an android. I take a walk down city streets. A thousand ones and zeros guide me. I take my cues from programming. Tell me to smile and nod politely. I'm just a cog in my positronic brain. I'm just an android run by my positronic brain. Just an android run by my positronic brain. Still the humanoids run from my positronic brain. It's good so far, right? It's cool. I like it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. JesseMercury.com for my website. I've got my premium podcast. I just released the bonus episode for the trial of Prometheus. Not the trial of Prometheus, but the trial of Prometheus. You can find that at my uh, website, JesseMercury.com, and of course at my Patreon page, patreon.com slash sci-fi project. I would love your support. I love doing this show. I want to do more things with podcasting, and your support can get me there. Two bucks a month gets you my premium podcast as a I'm still talking. I'm going to shut up. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon.